Linda has a bulletin, there's an outline in there for you to follow along if you would like. And there are also the announcements that you can read and see what's going on in the coming month. When I was uh, interviewing for this job, one of the questions that I was asked by the search committee was, how do you find out God's will? Anybody ever wanted to know that? I said, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. A <laughs> um, few years before that, um, one of the guys that I met with on a regular basis for Bible study in, in the mornings <clears throat> had a job offer in a different town. Same question, how do I find out what God wants me to do? And how do I know he won't, he won't tell me, take this job or stay in this job? How do I find out? Um, last year I read, <clears throat> I read two books. Uh, God told me who to marry, where to work, which car to buy, and I'm pretty sure I'm not crazy. Learning to listen for guidance from God by Jim Samra. Godly man, helped many people grow in their walk with God. Um, and then I also read, Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Riding in the Sky, etc. Another godly man who's had a long-term ministry and led people to the Lord and helped them to grow, and they come at that issue from two completely different perspectives. Both having had God lead them in places in their life. Wouldn't this be nice if we just had a chalkboard that says God's will this way, right? If He would just write it for us, right? Wouldn't that be helpful? Um, I'm not opposed, nor is the Bible opposed to us seeking God's will in those decisions, big or small, that we all have to make in life cars to buy, houses to buy, spouses to marry, jobs to take. What menu item to order at the restaurant? The problem is, the Bible, while it's not opposed to those things, seems to be more concerned with another aspect of God's will for us. A different way of, of thinking about things. We read it a little while ago that as Jeremiah wrote to them, remember he said, build houses, get married, plant gardens. And there was that, that one command, live. Live. Don't be so paralyzed by where you have been stuck. By the way, because I put you there, your behavior was part of that, but I put you there. Don't be so paralyzed and so frustrated and so now what do we do that I'm out of my element that you don't live. He didn't tell them floor plans for that house and he didn't tell them criteria for picking out that spouse. He just said, do it. Live. While you're there, while you're out of place, while you're not where you're supposed to be, Live. And the meat of that letter, the substance of that letter was not about houses or spouses or gardens. The substance of that letter was God's faithfulness and God's promises and where they were to put their hope. 
For 70 years you're going to be in Babylon. You might as well live. But don't put your hope in that spouse or that house or those gardens. Put your hope in the fact that I'm going to return you to the land. I'm going to be faithful. When the nation came into the promised land many, many years before that, God gave them houses and vineyards and fields. And the warning was, be careful that those houses and vineyards and fields, those things that you do each day, the living, doesn't distract you from me. The danger in God's generosity for us is that we, we take all that stuff and then for us it's even greater because not only do we have stuff, we have choices of numerous stuffs. Right? It's not just, oh, we're having bread again today like we had yesterday, like we had the day before. One of our dangers is I've got a menu that's got 40 things on it and sometimes in the back of my mind, I think God's just saying, would you just order something? Because that's not really what's important. What's important is the people that you're having a meal with. I don't really care what you put in your stomach. Just order something. Live. And so it's helpful sometimes when the biblical writers focus on what we need to focus on and, and just lay it out. No apologies. And here Peter makes no apologies. He tells us exactly what God's will is for us, where we are, where you are today, right now. You want to know God's will? Peter tells us what God's will is. And it's very simple. You have one goal in life. That's holiness. You have one goal, holiness. Our goal in life is holiness. And you have one hope in life. That's grace. See, the problem is I don't like that. Because, see, I hope for a lot of things. We celebrate an anniversary next week, and I hope that our 20th year of marriage is the best one yet. I hope that, that all of you grow in grace and knowledge this year. I really do hope and pray that all of us will learn as we, as we talk about prayer each month this year that we will grow in our understanding and our discipline of spending time with God in prayer. I really do hope that. And yet the message here is that we have one goal and we have one hope. Our goal is holiness. Our hope is grace. Peter writes these words, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take your word and that you would... impart it into our lives. Help us to see what you're saying to us this morning, that we might be different, that we might be your children, that we might know more about you and that you would change us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I really do want something more practical than this, <laughs> but this is what he's given us. This is what he tells us. Um,
tells us to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That sort of seems impossible. Because as I said, I hope in lots of other things. I have lots of hopes and dreams. The Bible's not opposed to that. And we're going to come back to that because I, I think we need to look at the second half of this before the first half makes sense. Because the second half is even more difficult. Uh, in fact, the second half is, is actually relatively impossible. He says, be holy in all your conduct. Now, if I was a good Jew, if, if Jesus was teaching or if Peter was teaching, what I would do is then I would ask a question to get to the meaning behind that. And it would involve definitions and we would kind of question each other back and forth about definitions. So I'd say, well, what do you mean by holy? Well, he tells us it's, it's like God is holy. And I go, oh, that's really not what I wanted to hear. I thought maybe you, you meant something else. That's an impossible demand. Anybody been successful in that lately? Anybody managed over the last year to be holy like God is holy? That's an impossibly high bar. I didn't watch the Oscars because I don't watch a lot of movies, so it didn't make sense for me to see what was good that I missed. But, but I heard that uh, Matthew McConaughey, who's a Texan, uh, won uh, the award for Best Actor in a movie about Texas. So that's it's exciting. Um, plus, he's a Longhorn fan, so that's also exciting. Um, and then I heard some, some people get excited about his acceptance speech because he mentioned that he looks up to God. And that's kind of the foundation. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. You can mention God and not be a believer. Um, and there were some, some people that, that I read about that were really excited because in that kind of that God-forsaken industry of Hollywood, here's someone in front of all those people mentioning God. So I, I watched the acceptance speech. Interesting, at the end, um, and he kind of gave these things that he helps guide him through life, one of which was God. But then he said that I've always had a hero to chase. There's always been a hero in my life that I'm, that I'm looking to try to emulate. And that hero was himself. Ten years from now, I think. Well, in one sense, that's that's not bad. We always are hoping that we're more mature ten years from now than we are, and that's one thing that you never really can. He can never catch that person because he's always ten years ahead. My hope is that all of us would be more mature ten years from now. But that's not what Peter's calling us to. He's not calling us to be just better 10 years from now. He's calling us to be holy, to be perfect. And that's a really, really high bar. I don't want you chasing yourself or someone in this room. Peter wants you chasing Jesus Christ. That's who he wants you to emulate. But he helps us in that. And he gives us some things as he talks about being holy that kind of help us get our mind on track because he, he really does want us to be holy. And so he begins, and the first thing that helps us is, until you're willing to give up your rights, you will not move toward holiness. Until you're willing to give up your rights, you will not move toward holiness. He does that at the beginning of verse 14. As obedient children. I think there's a couple things going on. One, 
you are in a parent-child relationship with God and you have a loving Father who knows what's best for you. So we need to get that in the back of our mind. Okay? Nothing that He asks you to do, no, nothing that He calls you to as far as holiness is concerned, is it's all good for you, no matter how you think it is. But the idea of children is important because you think about a child and a parent telling a child what to do. Oftentimes the child doesn't understand why he's been given a command or a rule to follow. Now, as parents, I would encourage you to do the best job you can in explaining why. I think it's frustrating for us just to give rules and regulations. But especially children who are little, sometimes they don't understand why. But obedient children, remember Peter says, not just as children who do so-so job, but as obedient children, an obedient child obeys whether they understand or not. Also, sometimes children don't want to obey. They're like just little adults. They get stubborn. I want to do things the way I want to do them. And by golly, you can't make me. But obedient children, even when they don't want to, Obey. And that's what Peter's talking about. See, it doesn't matter whether you understand. It doesn't matter whether you want to. God calls us to be holy. Even if we don't understand why He's calling us to that or understand bits and pieces of what He's asking us to do. And so what that means for us, again, if you're not willing to give up your rights, well, I demand to understand God before I'm going to be obedient. Or, God, I just don't want to right now. Unless you're willing to give up your rights, you won't move towards holiness. Second thing he, he tells us is, until you quit living by your feelings, you will not move towards holiness. Again, he says, right after the... Beginning of verse 14, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. See, before Christ came into our lives, He says, you were ignorant. You didn't have a clue what was going on. And the reason you didn't have a clue what was going on is because you lived by your lusts or by your passions or by your feelings. Right? Just kind of whatever I thought was right, I did. Some of us are reading through the book of Judges and, and a phrase that's repeated more than once is, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Basically, he says, you, you do realize that before Christ, you all were idiots. And you just kind of went from feeling to emotion to feeling to emotion. And, well, it, I think it's right, so it must be right. And he says, don't conform to that way of living you can't base your life based on your emotions. You can't base your life based on your feelings. You can't even base your life based on what you think might be right or wrong. Paul says, uses the same terminology. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? Well, we spend time in God's Word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with His people and His church, figuring out what it is that God is like what his character is like, who he is, so that we can emulate that. So that we can be transformed. Not being conformed in our ignorance, what we did before. Until you quit living by your feelings, you will not grow in holiness. 
third thing he helps us with to, to get a grasp of what he's talking about. Until you quit dividing up your life, you will not grow in holiness. Until you quit dividing up your life, you will not grow in holiness. He says, be holy in all your conduct, in all your way of life. This isn't just... He's not asking us to be holy in, in, in just part of our life, but our attitudes and our actions, everything we do. Are you being holy in your marriage? Are you being holy in your finances? Are you being holy in the way you raise your kids? Are you being holy in the way you spend your time? Are you being holy in your thought life? Are you being holy when people are looking and when they're not looking? But see, sometimes we want to say, well, God can have this and this and this, but this is mine. This part of my life, I don't want to relinquish control in. And we're selfish. We say, God, you can't have that. I'm going to continue thinking those thoughts because I want to. I'm going to continue acting that way, or God really isn't concerned about this part of my life. Yes, I know He likes me to have a holy marriage and a holy family, and I know that He likes my relationship to be good, but He doesn't really care about the way I run my business, does He? Yeah, He cares about all of that. Anything that you can think of that's part of your life, He cares about, and He wants that to be holy. See, because all those little decisions in life, who to marry, Compared to the big decision of being holy, who to marry is a little decision, what job to take, what house to buy, all those decisions. You see, even if you choose the right one and you're not holy, what difference does it make? Your marriage won't be what you want it to be if you're not living a holy life. Your job won't be what you envision it to be if you're not living a holy life. But even if you chose the wrong one, your job, your marriage, your garden can be a success if you're holy. Stop dividing up your life. You will not grow in holiness if you're reserving part of who you are because you don't want God to touch it. Finally, until you believe that God calls us to holiness, and until we're willing to search the Scriptures to learn what that means, we will not grow in holiness. He says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Four times in Exodus, God says that. Jesus, using similar words in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And both Paul and Peter call us to that high bar of holiness. Until we're willing to accept that God actually calls us to that, that He actually means for us to pursue holiness, and not just, well, you know... As long as I go to church, as long as I pray a little bit, read my Bible, it's, it's okay. He doesn't really want... Until we are convinced that He is calling us to holiness, and until we're willing to search this and spend time with Him, learning about His character and what that really means, not just our idea of what holiness means, we're not going to grow in holiness. 
And I don't know how you're feeling, but I read that and I go, huh, I, can't, I can't do that. Because day in and day out, I find places in my life that, that say, God, I don't want you messing with that. Or I find myself making decisions based on how I feel. Or there are other things that are more attractive than spending time in His Word. Or I just think that I'm right. God must be mistaken here in this place about this thing. And I think, I, I, I can't win. <laughs> and then the first part of that verse begins to make sense. Set your hope completely on the grace that is to be revealed to you, the coming of Jesus Christ. If holiness is what is required, my only hope is God's grace. If holiness is what is required, and it is, then my only hope is God's grace. That's all that I can depend on. Because if I'm hoping that if I just show up here enough, Brandon's holiness will rub off on me. That may be true. We encourage one another, but that's never going to get me to the high bar that, that God calls me to. If I just read this every day and, and check the box, and even if I read it every day and spend time in it and learn, I still have me to contend with. And if my hope is that this will get me where I want it, where I want to be, I'm going to be disappointed. If my only hope is not the grace of God, when I stand before Him face to face, and He reveals to me all that He knows about me, if I'm hoping in anything besides God's grace, then I'm going to be disappointed. The only solution we have to the problem of the fact that we're not holy and God calls us to be holy is grace. But it's also a wonderful motivation. Because see, now all of a sudden, if I am putting my hope completely on grace, I'm free to shoot for being holy. I'm free to to give it my best effort. And, and Peter actually encourages us to do that. He says at the very beginning, prepare your minds for action. Literally, it's gird up the loins of your mind. It's an image of, they used to wear robes back then. We don't do that anymore, right? But you would, if you were fixing to do something, go for a long walk or even run or get ready to work, you'd, you'd take those long flowing robes and you'd tie them up around your waist so they wouldn't get in the way. It's the idea of preparing to do something. So it's not just that we sit back and go, okay, God's grace will take care of me one day. It'll be all right. That's what I'm hoping in. No, as Jeremiah said, your hope is returning to the promised land, but in the meantime, live. Are you living? Are you living or are you just going, I, I can't do it and I'll just wait till heaven someday? And the encouragement from Scripture is that we live. 
and not just live, but enjoy. We marry, we build houses, we plant gardens. We pray for the welfare of our city because we we want things to be better. Grace is our motivation because it allows us to live and fail and then live again. But when when we're not holy, when we don't measure up and we fall flat on our face for the 47th time, grace says, why don't you give up, get up and live? Why don't you enjoy life? And then he says, be sober. Literally, don't get drunk. But that word is also used often metaphorically. In other words, don't let anything in the world intoxicate you to the point where you forget that your hope is in Christ alone. Just be aware of what you're allowing in that's deceiving you, that's intoxicating you, that's helping, that's making you lose control or focus on is your hope in grace. See, we can have lots of things that we hope in. Some of you may have hoped that North Carolina won last night. I hope that there's a way to keep the deer out of my garden this year. And I really do. I, I hope that. And a lot of us, we set goals. Like there's, there's things that I'm running through my mind about this next year of, of marriage for us as we celebrate an anniversary. What do I want to do? But, but if a better year of marriage is my goal, what's going to happen is I'm going to, I'm going to expect things from Dana. Somehow, what she does will determine whether that happens or not. But if my goal is holiness, and I become more holy in my role as a husband, it doesn't matter what she does, my marriage will be better. We need, to, we need to think about that as we think about what our goals... In all. My goal may be to, to, to make more money in business this year. But if you haven't grown in holiness, what difference does it make? But if, if your goal is in business, I want to be more like Jesus Christ, then it really won't matter whether you make more or not. You'll be a better businessman. And on and on and on that goes. It's not that we don't set goals. It's not that I won't put things in place in my life that we would have a better marriage. But if holiness is not the foundational goal of what I do, of what we all do, it really doesn't matter. It's like when Paul was talking about you can do all kinds of things, but if you don't have love, what difference does it make? Our only goal And by that, I don't mean that you can't have other goals, but if that's not the foundational goal of today and tomorrow and the next day, you're going to be disappointed. Our only goal is holiness, and then our only hope necessarily is God's grace. And if we could embrace those two things this year, we would be different people in a few months. We would be a different body. The places that we interact with would be 
different. The people that we know would be different because sometimes those things do begin to rub off. So as you go home today, what you think about that? Is my goal holiness or is it something else? And then regardless of what my goals are for this year, how can I subsume all of those under the idea of what does it mean to be more holy in that arena of life? And then will you always keep in mind, God gives me grace so that I can live and fall down and get up like the little kid who wants to walk so bad that he's willing to undergo falling, bumping the head, big bruise, lots of tears, and then, I'm going to try that again. Because <laughs> that walking business looks fun. This crawling around on the floor with all the dirt, you know, that's, I like that, but those people that are walking looks like they're, they're seeing more than I'm seeing. They're living more than I'm living, and I would say that's probably true. And so they don't, they don't mind the bumps and the bruises so much and they get up because there's always a hand to help them up. That's true for us. God's grace is always available. And so my encouragement to you, my challenge to you would be to live. To live. To live. With our eyes on Jesus Christ as the one that we seek to emulate. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word and I thank You for the grace that You have abundantly provided for us. God, help us to be the people that You've called us to be. Reveal to us this week as we go our way where it is, what parts of our life that we have hidden, set aside, enclosed, where we say, I don't want to be holy there. Show us, God, where those places are. And then give us courage and strength to pursue you and your character in those places. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.